I should have said uh, earlier that, um, hello, and my name is Adam Kedis, and I'm the curate here at Christchurch, and it is glorious to be with you all here in the room, and to everyone who is watching uh, on the live stream. We've started a, a new series in Luke's Gospel uh, for the next, uh, next few weeks, and as we come to God's Word, let me just come a, a moment of prayer. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you that your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. As we come to it now, Father God, enlighten us and lead us and guide us and enable us to hear your voice and to build our lives upon your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. What does the good life look like? What does the good life look like? Maybe for you, the good life uh, involves uh, having six holidays a year. <laughs> I remember uh, once uh, meeting a lady who just retired, and she was telling me that her and her husband, they dreamed of this moment of retirement and now six holidays a year. That was the good life. Or maybe the, the good life is about getting beach body ready. The summer is nearly here, and we've got to get ready for the sunshine. Or maybe the good life is about getting your kids into a good school and knowing that their future is secure. Or maybe the good life is about finding that job which doesn't drive you mad <laughs> and you're just waiting to work out what that job is. Or maybe the good life is some spiritual sort of desire to, to read through the whole Bible uh, in a year. That big challenge I've set myself many times and never seem to succeed at. What is the good life? And it can be hard to sort of know, well, what is the good life? What should we be aiming for? Because we are human beings who have higher desires and lower desires. We have, we have those higher desires. We want to live lives of service. We want to live lives of love. We want to live lives where we build people up. But then we also have those lower desires, don't we? Where we just, oh, I really just want to be comfortable. I really just want to take it easy. I really just want to be liked. And I get that. I get that constant struggle between the higher desires and the lower desires. I can, I can feel that on a Wednesday night where I know full well that if I go to bed at a good time, I'll be well rested, I can work hard the next day. And yet all that is within me is like, I, but I just want to watch more TV. I just want to watch that next episode on Netflix. You feel that, 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 that tension between higher desires and lower desires. So what does a good life look like? And what has God got to say to us today to help us answer that question? Well, as we land here in Luke chapter 6, um, in the, the previous sort of chapters, Jesus had just called his first disciples and they have now started to follow him. He's, he's building together his mission team. He started to perform miracles and to forgive sins. And he's also started to face opposition. The Pharisees are starting to question him. The Pharisees are starting to work against him. The religious elite of his day are not in favour of Jesus. And now we find Jesus, and he's surrounded by a crowd. Uh, and as he is in this state where he's surrounded by this big crowd of people, his eyes turn and swivel to his 12 disciples. There are lots of people there, but it is the 12 disciples he is now speaking to. And as Jesus now speaks to these 12 disciples we see God redefining true happiness. Look with me at verse 20. Chapter 6, verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, 
Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. As we look down at Jesus here redefining true happiness, well, certain words pop out to us, don't they? And maybe that one of those words which popped out to me is blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. And to be, to be blessed in a biblical sort of sense, it denotes a state of happiness. When someone is blessed, they're in a, a sort of position where you want to you cheer for them, you want to congratulate them, and you want to imitate them because they're in such a glorious state to be in, this truly blessed, happy state. And yet as, as we, these words pop out to us, blessed, 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 well, some other words pop out to us as well. Blessed who are poor, blessed who are hungry, blessed who weep, blessed who are insulted. And as we hear these poor, hungry, weak, blessed, insulted, that doesn't seem like a wonderful situation to be in. The world around us, the culture around us, that does not, does not think that poverty and hunger, <laughs> insults and tears, is a state of happiness, is a state of being blessed. And yet, yet that is how Jesus is redefining what it is to be blessed. And as I was meditating and reflecting on these words, I started to, to, to ask myself the question, is this... Is this generic or specific? Is this a generic statement that everyone who's poor is blessed, who weep is blessed, who's hungry is blessed? Is that generic and it just covers, covers all people? Or is it talking about something very specific, a specific person? And I think the context for this sermon really helped me think that through and answer, answer that question. Um, because actually, as this uh, what's called the Sermon on the Plain uh, continues in Luke chapter 6, it, it's all about discipleship, about loving your enemies, about not judging others. It's about living, living fruitful lives. It's all about discipleship. So that's my first clue, is it specific or general? My next clue is about is this specific or general, is we have heard Jesus in Luke's Gospel talk about the poor before. We've heard it uh, when he came to the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And in, uh, in Luke chapter 4, he has this sort of great, famous uh, declaration where he states his mission. Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if we see from the verses before that, Jesus has picked up the, the scroll of Isaiah. He's speaking from the words of Isaiah. And if we would turn back to look at Isaiah and where Jesus is, is speaking from, the context then in Isaiah is that the prophet Isaiah is, is speaking to a remnant of Israel, a persecuted remnant of Israel. And he, as the prophet Isaiah speaks to this remnant of Israel, he's giving them this, these great encouragements for a future restoration. So Isaiah is pointing to a future restoration of Israel, and here Jesus is picking up on these words, that a persecuted remnant, these poor, there is a glorious future for them of restoration. 
So as I'm thinking, are these words in Luke 6 generic or specific? Well, the context of the whole sermon is discipleship. The context of, of the poor in Luke's gospel is a persecuted remnant. And thirdly, I think verse 23 really helps us. Verse uh, 23 and 22 for that matter. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And I wonder if these words in verse 22 help us understand exactly what Jesus means when he talks here about poverty and hunger and weeping and hatred. It is, it is hatred because they follow Jesus. They are hated because they follow Jesus. They are insulted because they follow Jesus. They are poor because they are following Jesus. They are hungry because they are following Jesus. And we've got to remember, Jesus has turned his eyes away from the crowd to the twelve. And think about these twelve. <laughs> think about what these twelve will go on to do. That these twelve will, will take the gospel out to Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We think, we think uh, Luke's gospel uh, finishes with the resurrection. And then Luke continues to write in Acts as he talks about documents, the history of the early church. And, and think about the history of the early church. You have, you have Peter, who's one of these twelve. He's in this crowd. He will stand up and he will proclaim the glorious news of the gospel, how Jesus has come and died and has risen again. And he will be thrown into jail and he will be mocked for it. We think about the stoning even of Stephen. We think about all the persecution which happens in Acts. Jesus is preparing his, his twelve that when he has died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, and when they go out to take this good news, they are not going to be met with a fanfare. They are going to be met with hunger and with poverty. They are going to weep, and they are going to be insulted. And these men, these twelve, need to know that. Jesus' disciples, his followers, need to hear that. But as God is defining what true happiness is, that actually this is a state which is blessed, He's also just defining what true wretchedness is. And Luke's gospel continues, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Again, we look at these, these words and we think, okay, what pops out? Well, woe, woe, woe. And woe, the, the definition of woe, well, it's not so much actually a, a, a pronouncement of judgment. It's a, a description. It's a description of sort of how God sees someone in that particular moment. Which means there's a glimmer of hope there that they can leave that particular moment. But it's a description of how God sees someone. They are wretched because they are living in a fool's paradise. They are consumed with the now and they have not got their eye on the future. They do not see the reality of what will be, of what will happen next. Yet as we read these words, woe to those who laugh, woe to those who are rich, woe to those who are well fed, woe to those who are respected. Our culture, our world, even ourselves, we want all these things to be respected, to be liked, to be well fed. 
We want all those things, and yet that is a state of wretchedness. And again, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is this? This is talking about something generic? Everyone who's well-fed is, is woe? Or is this talking about something specific? And as I reflect on, on, on the Bible as a whole, well, I think you, you see uh, Abraham and Job, they're, they're rich men and they're blessed men. We see David and, we, and, and Paul, well, they're people who rejoice and who have much to rejoice about. We think of Timothy, who, who we're told is, is, is well thought of. And then we look at these words themselves, and, and actually, what is the reason for, for the woe, for the wretchedness? Well, the last words in verse 26 help us. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Jesus is he's speaking to his 12, and he is asking them to recall the, the great history of the Jewish people. And in the great history of the Jewish people, there are times where there are true prophets and false prophets. And the false prophets are hated and despised and rejected and persecuted. And the false prophets are loved and adored because they, they speak which those, those people they're speaking to want to hear, which their itching ears want to hear and want to acknowledge. And, and the false prophets are loved for it and adored for it and respected for it. So as we, we read these words, is it generic or is it specific? And I think it's specific. It is a wretched state to be a false prophet, to be someone who speaks only what those around you want to hear. And it might mean the results are amazing. <laughs> the results could be incredible to speak what those around you want to hear. You'll laugh, and who doesn't want to laugh? You'll be well-fed, and who doesn't want to be well-fed? You'll be liked, and who doesn't want to be liked? You'll be rich, and who doesn't want to be rich? But also think about this 12 who are listening, and think about who's in that 12. Because Judas sits in that 12. And think about Judas. And think about all he saw. The miracles, the teaching, the walking on water, the feeding of thousands, the raising the dead to life. He saw it all. He comprehended who Jesus was, and yet he chose riches. He chose 30 pieces of silver over his saviour. He chose to be liked by these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the powers of the day. And so thus, he was wretched. And as I've been reflecting on these, on these words, I think, I think the main point of the passage that God wants us to hear today in Sidcup is that God sees what is coming next. God sees what is coming next. Because our eyes, aren't they, they're very just focused on the here and they're focused on the now. And we don't want poverty and we don't want to be hungry and we don't want to weep and we don't want to be insulted. We live in this moment and all, all we can comprehend is the now. And we want to laugh, and we want to be rich, and we want to be liked, and we want to be respected. But God sees what is coming next. He understands that there is a cost to just telling people around, them, around us what they want to hear. There is a cost to that. Judas will pay that cost. He took his 30 pieces of silver, but he is wretched because of it. He is a false prophet. He is a false disciple. He is a false 
follower of Jesus, he is wretched because of it. You can say what the people around us want us to hear. We can say what the people around us, what they want to hear, but that does not mean that that is a place of true happiness. Because God sees what is coming next. God knows that if you stand with Jesus and if you speak for Jesus, God knows that if we speak Jesus' words and live like how Jesus lived, that we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, that yes, it may result in insults and it may result in poverty and it may result in hunger, but this is the life of the blessed because God knows what is coming next. He knows of the heaven, which is the reward for all of those who follow where Jesus led. He knows that heaven is their reward. And we see that in Luke's gospel all over the place. We see that in the, in the parables of, of the lost coin. A woman knew, wanted to find her lost coin, so she swept the whole house until she found it. Then she went out and celebrated or, or, or the shepherd who, who wanted to find that one sheep. So he left the 99, found the one sheep, came back, and he rejoiced, and he asked, everyone, come and rejoice with me. Or the parable of the father and the lost son. And when the son came back, the father ran out to meet him, put his cloak around him, and said, let's kill the fattened calf, and let's celebrate, let's rejoice. Because heaven is a wonderful image of celebration. It is that wedding feast which will go on and on and on. It is a glorious image. It is a glorious future. And that is the future. And that is the reward for everyone who will stand with Jesus and walk with Jesus and speak the very words of Jesus. That is the place of true happiness. Even though it could end up with tears now or with insults now or with hardships now, that is the place of true happiness. And what is, what is the good news for us? Because as we're, as we're hearing this, like who, wants, who, who wants to live in poverty, to have insults, to be hungry? Who wants that? No one wants that. <laughs> what, what, what is this good news about waiting for the reward and knowing that the reward is worth it? The good news is that Jesus has done this. And Jesus has walked this road already. He isn't asking us to follow him to a place he doesn't already exist in to experiences he hasn't already have. Jesus was the one who was betrayed by his very friends. Jesus came and gave him a kiss, a symbol of intimacy and love to show who he was so that the soldiers could come and get him. Jesus was the one who stood there as his friends ran off and deserted him. And Peter, even Peter denied him. Jesus was the one who they stripped bare and they whipped and Jesus was the one who they crucified. Jesus gets it. Jesus knows that, that poverty, that hunger, that insults, there is nothing we would want about that. But he knows that the reward is better. He knows that being with his Father in heaven is better. He knows that being around the throne is better. He knows that this eternal kingdom is better. That this wedding feast is better. That this joy, that this peace, that this forgiveness, that this love that this glory which exists in heaven for all eternity, that, that is better. And it is better to go this way. So what is God saying to us here today, here in Sidcup? What does he want us to hear? Well, look at your life through heaven's eyes. Look at your life 
through heaven's eyes. Our eyes are restricted to a moment. We see that which was in front of us. I find it hard to even think how to plan for the next month. Look at your life through heaven's eyes because God knows the future. God sees the future. God knows how great is the reward for those who follow Christ, no matter the cost. And what would it look like for us then to to say yes to God? I want to look at my life through heaven's eyes. Well, maybe maybe it's about taking every opportunity to, to, to speak out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe it's making sure that people at work know that, know, know that we're Christians. Maybe it's about making, uh, using opportunities, people's birthdays or, or Christmases or, uh, to, to, to give out Christian little helpful booklets. Maybe, I remember Roger Carswell giving the advice once, about using just life events. Like you, it's your birthday, you have a big celebration, you're allowed to give a speech at your birthday or at a wedding or something like that. You're allowed to give a speech. People want you to give a speech. So use that speech to speak about the one who means the world to you. Use that time to speak about Jesus. So maybe looking at our life through heaven's eyes is about taking opportunities to speak out. Maybe it's about building a heavenly perspective. Like fasting is a rich sort of biblical concept. And one of the the good things about fasting is it's training our body that actually what we need is spiritual food more more than physical food to build a heavenly perspective. Maybe it's about becoming an encourager. Seeing that actually someone's going through a hard time with their friends or with their family or their workplace and because they're living and speaking for Jesus. So getting alongside them and spurring them on. I, I remember just this happening in a very small way a few years ago. Just I've just been pushing some stuff out on Facebook, um, social media on Facebook and I just got a bit of a kickback from certain friends and so it was a really old friend of mine who I, haven't, I don't think I've physically seen, seen them for maybe eight years because they saw it all on Facebook. They just kept on sending me just the encouragements, little text message encouragements. So be an encourager to someone when we see that they're going through a tough time. Be an encourager. And take encouragement from other Christians, from other people who have walked this road before us, who have lived glorious lives for the Lord. I was reading um, Desmond Tutu's um, obituary the other day and it's fascinating, isn't it, that like um, in, the, in, in the early days before he was this sort of megastar, like the, the South African government declared him as uh, public enemy number one. He was public enemy number one. And what, what would that have felt like to know that your, your government has turned on you? That you're public enemy number one. So let's take encouragement from him. And for many others who have walked far harder paths than we will ever have to walk, let's look at our lives through heaven's eyes. We've heard a lot from God's word this morning. Let's have a moment just to pause and to reflect and to ask the Holy Spirit, what is the one thing you want to teach us? And then I'll pray. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your Son does not ask us to follow him to any place he has not been. 
But he knows pain and he knows sorrow. And he is with us in our pain and our sorrow. Help us, Father, to look at our lives through heaven's eyes. To live and to speak for Jesus. Knowing that this is the way of the blessed. This is the way of true happiness. This is the way of a reward in heaven. Of a party and a celebration that which will go on forever. Help us live for Jesus. Help us speak for Jesus. And please give us your spirit to aid us in this. To know how that we may do this with love and with kindness and with gentleness and with perseverance and with patience. To know how we can proclaim the good news of Jesus so that many people might hear and many people might believe. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, your precious gift of love to us. Amen.